Our ministries is generously sponsored by Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan in memory of our dear and beloved friend and role model, Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, Barakti Ben Ruvain Nasan. This morning's class is also generously sponsored by Ross and Hadass Summers, our good friends in honor of their beloved son, Ami Betzala, becoming a bar mitzvah today. Mazel tov. Where's Hadass? Mazel tov, mazel tov. nachas and simcha. Such a wonderful occasion. Okay, we're continuing in our limud. We've been learning a piece from the Bavavi Mishkan Evna, in which he has been defining for us the term bitachon. Does bischonecha know your bitachon? Know who you are. So much of life, and this is his theme he builds in different contexts, is self-awareness. Know who you are. Know how to regulate yourself. Know how you feel. Don't just be that thermometer who can say, I'm hot, I'm angry, I'm envious, I'm frustrated, I'm impatient, I'm happy, I'm joyous. Don't just know your, how you feel. Be the thermostat who can control how you, how you feel. If you recall, we last left off and he's developed for us the notion of what bitachon is. And he developed it based on the Pasuk with Shimon and Levi, Bo el ir betach. When they came to the city of Shechem, they had a plan. They had already incapacitated their enemy and they knew with confidence, they were positive and sure they would persevere, they would triumph. How'd they know? Because they had stacked the deck in their favor. So they knew, they fixed the game. And when you fix the game, you walk in knowing you're going to win. Inside information is illegal. But if you had inside information, when the stock market opened that day, you'd be pretty confident how well you'd do because you had inside information. Bitochon is having inside information. Bitochon is stacking the deck. Bitochon is living with confidence and surety. Just like Boa, Lair, Betach, they entered the city knowing confidently, positively, absolutely that it was going to go in their favor. That is living life. Is Bitochon, is Betach, is waking up and knowing with confidence that no matter what I confront today, no matter what happens, no matter what I have to overcome, I have bitachon, I have betach, I can be confident and sure it's in my favor. How could you say it's in your favor? Some people are facing really challenging, really horrific, really difficult things. How can you say it's in your favor? How could you say it's in your favor? I want to say hashgacha pratis. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking right now of a hashgacha pratis story, which is people who came late probably were like, I'm so miserable, there's no room for me, I didn't get in the room, there's no chair. And it's hashgacha pratis because you can breathe and you're happy and you can move around. And the rest of us are suffocating here. So it's total hashgacha pratis. Should all put it in your WhatsApp groups today. Hashgacha pratis. So that's what we all have the ability to when we wake up and we begin our day every situation we enter we can be confident and sure it's going to go in our how could you say that? I'm waiting for results from the doctor I'm waiting for results in the trial I'm waiting for results in the economic I'm waiting for results from the therapist how could you say? how can you be sure? how can you be confident? the answer is everything Hashem does is for good even when it feels painful even when it's painful We've said this before, and we'll say it many times again. Bad things don't happen to good people. Painful things happen to good people. And there's a world of difference between bad and painful. Painful things happen to good people. Bad things don't. Bad is a judgment. Good and bad, we don't know and we can't know. We don't have the perspective or the scope to know. We're not in a position to know. Only God, the King of Kings, the Judge of Judges, only Hashem can determine good or bad. We don't determine whether it's good or bad. Only when we come to the Olam Ha'emes, the world of truth, will we look back and will we see. We don't know what the alternative could have been. We don't know what that brought. 
that ended up not, would never have happened without it? We don't know. And that's not supposed to comfort us. Because guess what? We don't welcome painful things any more than we welcome bad things. Painful things are no more fun than bad. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't feel better. It doesn't make it easier to endure, but it gives it a context. It's not bad things that happen to good people. It's painful things that happen to good people. Everything Hashem does by definition, all that He does is for the good. There's a mission in Brachos that talks about the person who encamped with the rooster and the fire and, the, and everything went out and it turns out that it was good it went out because otherwise the thief would have heard them, the robbers, the bandits. The, we all know those stories. So would you say for them that night when they suffered in the cold and without their food, was that a good thing? Was that a bad thing? It was a good thing, but it was a painful thing. Yeah. Life is like undergoing surgery or having a procedure. A person who has surgery or procedure has to recover from it. Would they say, oh, why do bad things happen to good people? You'd say, no, this is a good thing. I've been healed. I've been improved. I've been repaired. My life has been extended. The surgery is a miracle. It's a miracle that we have the progress to be able to do that surgery or intervention in order to heal somebody. But it's very painful. It's a painful thing happening to a good person. But it's not a bad thing, surgery. So sometimes someone cuts us open, it's a bad thing. Sometimes someone cuts us open, it is a great thing. Just a painful thing. Because Baruch is the surgeon in the sky, and whenever he cuts us open, it's for the good. We may merit to see it in our life, how it was for good. We may never understand it or see it in our life, and it will forever remain painful. But it's not bad. And that's why Boal Ir Betach, we can enter the city, we can enter the situations of our lives, Betach, knowing that I do the best that I can do. I do and ask myself, what does Hashem want me to do? How am I meant to react? How am I meant to respond? What am I meant to do next? And when I do whatever I'm meant to do and I respond however I'm meant to respond, I've done my best. And then I have to, borrowing terminology from the recovery community, then I have to let go and let God. At that point, I have to realize I've done everything I can. Surgeon in the sky, I'm turning to you. Do what you need to do. Operate. Do what you need to do. Make it happen. So that's what we're up to. And therefore, oh, the last thing we said last week, this is all just a review still. The last thing we said last week, and it's really impacted me, I hope it impacted you. If we look at our lives, if we had a camera following us, if each of us were a reality TV show, the whole day we would look like we're scrambling. We're scrambling. The whole day. We're fighting off temptations, urges, drives, desires, conflicts, tensions. From the moment we wake up, and I gave these examples last week, I'm not going to revisit them from what we eat and where we go and how we do and what we say and how we... Everything about our lives looks like we're scrambling, we're fighting battles, we're fighting wars. All the time. All the time. And, and that's on the outside. But on the inside, we have the capacity for serenity and tranquility for peacefulness. Even though it looks like we're scrambling, even though it looks like we're fighting, even though it looks like we're struggling and we are doing all those things, if we do all those, we confront all those, we exert the effort and take the initiative in all those realms, but underneath it all we know that however it turns out is how it's meant to be. That whatever happens was designed from above. That nothing is random or chance or coincidence and once I put in my effort and once I engage this struggle, whatever the outcome is by design is from Hashem, then I can live with bitachon. So if we measure our lives or evaluate our lives from the outside, it can look like we're scrambling and we're running and we're doing. But if we have a certain confidence that betach, then we can live with that calm. We can live with that calm. And I told you, truly great people have a sense of calm. Truly great people 
No matter what they're doing, their project, their ambition, their aspiration, their responsibility, no matter what they're shouldering, but underneath it all is a sense of calm. A calm. Because there's a sense of trust and there's a giving over to Hashem. So we are on the second page, about halfway down. I marked it off for myself this time. Kol davar bebriya kayim b'shlosha b'chinos. Everything in the world, everything in the world exists in three different creations, in three different arenas, in three different areas. Bless you. Namely, olam, shana, and nefesh. It's a Kabbalistic and Hasidic concept. The idea that everything in Bria, everything in the world, exists in Shalash Bechinos. I'm giving you a very deep concept here. The Bavavi is giving us a very deep concept. We are one, two, three, four, five paragraphs from the bottom. Begins Kol Davar. Kol Davar Bebriya. Everything in the world, everything in creation, Kayem, it exists Beshlosha Bechinos in three realms. Olam, world, which means in the, in the realm of space. Shana, year, which means man in the world of time. And nefesh, in the world of soul. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. The concept in the Bria of holiness. Holiness. Holiness in space is... It's appropriate for this week's parasha. Truma. V'yasuli mikdash v'shachanti. Where? B'socham. In you. Make me a mikdash. Make me a holy place. And dwell in... Them. It doesn't say dwell in it. It says dwell in... Them. Holiness, sanctity... Sanctuary. We have a sanctuary in time, we have a sanctuary in space, and we have a sanctuary in soul. What's the sanctuary in space? The Mishkan, the Mikdash. Today, the Mikdash Ma'atashul. That's a place that's holy, sacred. It's a sanctuary in space in Makom. You have a sanctuary in Zman. What is that? Shabbos. You can immerse yourself, you can walk into, you can enter a sanctuary as in the place the physical place, you can walk into, you can enter a sanctuary that's called time. That's Shabbos. What the Mikdash was to space, Shabbos is to time. And that's why throughout Sefer Shmos and in the Torah, we find the two always juxtaposed. Build a Mishkan, observe Shabbos. And our rabbis deduce whatever is defined as a creative labor to build the whole sanctuary in space is defined as the creative labor that is prohibited in the sanctuary in time. Where do we learn the 39 malachos from? Where do we learn what is deemed a creative labor? On Shabbos, I can't flip a light switch on. That's a labor. That's laborious. But I can, in August, walk a mile to shul in Boca Raton. And that's not a labor. That's a labor of love. So how do you define labor? Why is flipping the light switch usher? It's prohibited. But I can walk a mile in August in Boca, <laughs> which is unbelievable. That's okay. That's okay. You can do, you see this 62-year-old um, who didn't set a world record for over eight-hour plank? Have you done a one-minute plank? An eight-hour plank. An eight-hour plank. All right, everybody relax. We're not going to model it. My point is this. Are you allowed to do a plank on Shabbos? A plank is when you rest on your arms, your, your feet are on the ground, your arms, and you hold that position, which requires you to engage your core. It's very hard. And you start out and you can do it for 10 seconds. And when you build yourself all the way up, 
You can do it for three minutes, even Leslie can't do it for, how long can you do it for? All right, six hours, not eight hours. Eight hour plank, an eight hour plank. What's my point? Are you allowed to do a plank on Shabbos? You can do a plank on Shabbos, not prohibited about it. It's not Shabbos dick necessarily if the sweat's gonna be pouring out of you. It's a form of exercise. That guy can do a, he should just do seven hours, not eight hours on Shabbos. But a light switch you can't flick on, why? Because this is, a t- this is a misnomer and a misconception many have. Labor, work, is not what's forbidden on Shabbos. What's forbidden is creative labor. In other words, anything a monkey can do is permissible on Shabbos. Anything that takes human ingenuity and creativity, you cannot do on Shabbos. Because God says, I created the world and I put you in it. Six days a week, I want you to go and conquer the world. Go study the world, learn the world, and conquer and manipulate that world. Understand science and technology and make progress and conquer the world. Go conquer the world. And the seventh day, be at peace with that world. Six days a week, be in control. And with seventh day a week, forfeit and concede that control and be at peace. So how are we at peace? By stopping to do not work or labor, but by stopping to do what we call creative labor. Malachas machsheves asra Torah. We're only forbidden to do creative labor. How do we define what's creative labor? Torah never tells us the lamites malachas. The 39 categories of creative labor that are enumerated in the Mishnah and Shabbos, the Torah never tells us. Torah only tells us one. Which one? Anyone know? Mavir. Lighting a fire. Kindling a fire. That's the only one the Torah tells us you're not allowed to do. Lo sevaru eish the Shlach Kaddosh says, Lo Savaro Ish means, what's Ish? Fire? There can't be any anger, Bechom Moshwasechem, in all of your dwelling places, Biyama Shabbos. It doesn't mean you're allowed to be angry six days a week. You shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't be angry ever, but there's a special emphasis that you cannot be angry. And why do you have to be warned not to be angry as Shabbos comes in? Because even those who maintain calm six days a week, when is it that we're most predisposed to getting angry? About three minutes before candle lighting. You said you were gonna shower, you said you were gonna set the table, you said you were gonna put the candles up, you said you'd be home in time, you said you'd be... So therefore, lo sevaru ish b'chom ha'shvaseichem b'yom ha'shabbos says the shlo, you can't get angry on Erev Shabbos, you can't get angry on Shabbos. If you're angry on Shabbos, you violate Allah mitas molachas. Lo sevaru ish, you're not allowed to have a fire. I'm not saying, you're not allowed to have a fire, homiletically, you violated. Lo sevaru ish. That's the one that Torah says. How do we know the other 38? When the rabbis looked and they said, these are biblical prohibitions. All the 39 malachas. You can't plow, you can't plant, you can't harvest, you can't winnow, you can't knead, you can't bake, you can't... All of them separate and color and... How did they know? How did they know? They looked at the Torah and you always find the Mishkan and Shabbos juxtaposed next to each other and they said, huh, let's see. How are we going to define what's called the creative labor that's meaningful, that has a spiritual component to it? Whatever went into building the sanctuary in space is a creative labor that's forbidden that you have to be at rest from in the sanctuary in time. So I'm just giving you an example. So far we did half a sentence. Everything in the creation, everything in the world exists in three realms. Namely, makom zman and nefesh. Olam shana and nefesh. So holiness is an example. Sanctuary in space is the mikdash, the mishkan. Sanctuary in time is Shabbos. Sanctuary in our soul, we have to talk about. So here too, 
גם כוח הביטחון מסירה בשלושה בחינוס הללו. We find this notion of ביטחון, that word, confidence, surety, calmness, knowing that it's going to come in your favor in these three realms. בבחינוס של מקום, where do you see it in the, in the realm of space? Anybody? Where do we have a promise in the realm of space that says, do what you need to do, do your best, and then you can be confident, calm, and sure that I've got your back and that it will fall in your favor. Where do we have that? Whenever we find the word bitachon being used by Chazal and by our rabbis, it is referring to one of these three realms of life, space, time, or soul. Let's start with space. We all know, we all know the central place that Israel has in battle, war, conflict, tension. Israel is smaller than the state of New Jersey. Israel fits into the state of Florida several times. And yet, last night at the debate, Israel, what do you think? But no, no one gave a good answer. But Israel, Israel, Israel. Israel is a place of tension, of conflict. This goes all the way back to when Yoshua conquered. Those doing Nachio, may you finish the book of Yoshua? No. City by city, they face enemies and adversaries. They rely on miracles and triumph. And the sun has to stand still and the walls have to cave in. And they have to not take the spoils in cases. But in the time of Yoshua, when they first conquered the land, faced enemies and adversaries, even though it was promised to us. Sheva Shanim, how long did it take to conquer? Seven years. Sheva Shanim Chilek Seven years to conquer the land, and then seven years to split it up. Then seven years we began counting, and the first Shemitah was only observed the 21st year. The first Shemitah was not the seventh year after Yoshua took us in. Seven years of conquest, seven years of dividing the land, then begins to count seven years. The first Shemitah was the 21st year in. And then you get to Yermio, Yoshio, Yechezkel. And you read about the Babylonians. And later we know the story of the Romans who drive us from the land. The Crusaders who are going to liberate the land. And the terrorists today and the enemies today who seek to destroy us and drive us from the land. You have the last hundred years in our, our land. So how in the world are you going to describe that Israel is a place of bitachon? It's batuach. It is protected, it's guarded, it's safe, it's secure. If there's one place on earth that's not, if it is the capital of conflict, it's Israel. Forever, different civilizations, different empires, different peoples, different religions have been struggling over the land of Israel. Eretz Yisrael. It is the last place on earth you would describe as a makom batuach. Ula meidach, however, Kadosh Baruch Hu Mavtiach La'am Yisrael B'Torah. The Torah tells us, Im b'chukos ayse leichu, if you walk in my ways, v'yishavtam lebetach ba'artzachem. You will live with betach in your land. Dafka, what's the word the Torah uses to describe the attitude, the approach, the feeling that we can have towards our relationship with the land of Israel? The word it uses, v'yishavtam betach. 
ונצאתי שלום בארץ ושכבתם ואין מאחרית. הרי שמצד התפיסה הפנימית, כאשר עם ישראל שומר מעלה ארץ ישראל בקדושה ובטהרוסו, ומקימים את מצווסי הקרוי, אין כל פגם בישיבוסו, ארץ ישראל היא מקום שמסגלה בו ביטחון גמור ומוחלט, ששום אומה ושום כוח לא יוכל לבוא לערער. הבחנה זו לא שייך שתהיה בשום מקום אחר פרט לארץ ישראל, ביישובו הראוי לו. What the Torah is telling us is, if we live correctly, if we live morally and righteously and virtuously, if we, if we're walking in His ways, which means not only observance, Shabbos, Kashras, and the standards that are being observed in Israel, it means none of our leaders are corrupt or go to jail or are indicted. Because the Nevi'im, when the Nevi'im talk about why we're exiled and kicked out of the land, they don't talk about You know, they ate only Rabbanut, they didn't eat Mahadran, they didn't eat Reuben, they didn't eat uh, Machpid, they didn't eat... The Nevi'im don't talk about the level of kashras, and I'm not minimizing. Kashras is very important, and we have to be scrupulous and vigilant, and it's legitimate to want to keep higher standards. I am not mocking or minimizing kashras, but be clear. When the Nevi'im talk about while we're exiled from the land, it is not because of the kashra standards. It's because we neglect... We neglect the vulnerable population. We don't take care of the widow and the orphan. That we were distorted in business dealings. We were liars and cheaters and we cut corners. It's because we gossiped about others. It's because we marginalized. That's why. That's why. They, uh, the Navi tells us, God says, What do I need all your karbonos? It's so beautiful. You come to shul and you shuckle and you have the longest shmur esrei. And then you go out and you cheat in business. And then you go out and you sit in judgment of others. Then you go out and you're rude and unkind. And then you go out and you neglect and abandon the people who need your help. That's why we're exiled from the land. So when we live correctly in our land, and correctly means we care about kashras, and we care, yes, about Shabbos, and we care about conversion standards, and we care about also people, their feelings, the vulnerable population, justice and charity and righteousness. When we care all about that, the shavtem lebetach pa'artzachem. You have nothing to worry about. There's no enemy. There is no nuclear bomb. There are no rockets. There are no tunnels. There are no knives. There are no viruses that could be released. There's no chemical warfare. If we are doing our part, then you would have absolutely nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. So that land, and by the way, that's not said about anywhere else. The Torah does not say if you live in Teaneck or the five towns or Muncie or L.A. or Detroit or Chicago, maybe Boca Raton, but if you live, the Torah does not say if you live in Brooklyn or Lakewood, if you live righteously, then you know, everything's going to be good. You'll never have any problems. Nobody will ever raise your taxes. You'll never have major snowfall. You'll never have major... The Torah doesn't make that promise anywhere else. There's one land. There's one place. That's one place. And that one place is Eretz Yisrael. The heavens belong to God and the earth He gave to us. But the Rishonim, I think it's the Svarno who says, with one exception, that He gave earth to man except for Israel. That He kept. That still belongs to God. That is filled with spirituality even as it's physical. It's a, it's a, it's a place where you have mitzvahs hatuluyos ba'aretz. You have spiritual accomplishments that are achieved through the soil, the earth. The earth. If you grow vegetables in your garden in Boca Raton, enjoy them. There's nothing special about them. But if you go to Costco and you buy red peppers and they say made in Israel, now you got a whole halacha question. If it's a Shemitah year and Trumas and Maestros, because you got a whole 
area of mitzvahs that apply mitzvahs atzluyos ba'aretz. They're only in Israel. Because Israel belongs to God even while we are entitled to borrow it and to use it and to live there. So it's the one place, v'yishavtem betach. we have that promise of betach. You can be confident, you can be sure, you can be calm if you're doing your part. So there's the application of betach in the world of makom, in the world of olam, in the world of place, namely in Israel. So if you look on the outside, you say, oh my gosh, Israel's surrounded by enemies. You've got tens of thousands of rockets. You've got Iran bent on destroying her. You've got the UN. You've got, if you look at Israel, you'd say, this is the most fragile place on earth. But if you look underneath the surface and you live with a sense of faith and trust in Hashem, then you know that if we do our part, v'yishavtem labetach, this is the safest place on earth. This is the safest place to be. This is the place of Jewish destiny. This is the place of Jewish history. This is the place of redemption. The beginning of the redemptive era, the miraculous times in which we are already living and in which the redemption will please God continue to unfold. Vishavtam labetach. This is not Zionist rhetoric or propaganda. This is a pasuk in the Torah. Vishavtam labetach ba'aretzachem. Don't be too sure or too confident anywhere else you go on earth. If you want to know the one place v'yishavtem labetach, I'll tell you a story. And I don't want to make anyone feel bad who already has arrangements after 120 and it's not in Israel. <laughs> but Yocheved and I, assuming she wants to spend eternity next to me, already have our arrangements after 120 in Eretz Achayim. I went and I visited them. Nice view, nice neighbors. BRS has its own section. We have our own section we bought in a cemetery in uh, Beit Shemesh. So Rabbi Brody thinks that we should be having an event. Everyone who's brought graves there, we should have like an afternoon tea. We should get to know you. We're going to spend eternity together. Everyone should line up based on who you're going to be next to. Get to know whoever you're going to be next to. And uh, make sure you're going to enjoy eternity with them. So I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we did that. First of all, a grave is a piece of real estate and it's only going to go up in value. And if you don't want to burden your great-grandchildren with having to pay for it at that time, I guarantee you it'll be exponentially greater, many-fold of what it would you, if you can pay for it now, I promise you, it's a piece of real estate, it's, we're all going to live long lives, hopefully, and it'll only go up in value then, it is real estate, get it now. It's also, they say, they say, it's not true, but they say, it's a school of Farariches Yamim, make these arrangements, unburden your children with it, know that you have it based on where you want, it should be a school of Farariches Yamim. Why did we do it there? When did we do it there? Several years ago, I went to Cuba for a day. I'm not going to say anything nice about Fidel Castro or Cuba. Don't worry. But we went to Cuba for a day, a humanitarian mission. And we brought all kinds of medical supplies, humanitarian supplies. It's a disastrous situation there. There's nothing kind to say about a communist regime of despots who hurt their people. There's no silver lining. There's nothing nice to say. So um, Rabbi Smolarsik was with us on that trip. And we went to the Jewish cemetery in Havana, in Cuba, and we visited Rabbi Smolarsik's grandfather. Why is his grandfather buried there, not his grandmother? Because Rabbi Smolarsik's grandparents, when they escaped the war, went to Cuba with many Jews, and the Cuban community at that time was thriving. There were tens of thousands of Jews, yeshivas and girls' schools and kolim and shuls and mikvahs and kashras. It was thriving. And this Jewish cemetery has a beautiful tahara room, a nice chaver kadisha we saw. And Rabbi Smolarsik's grandfather's gravestone is made out of marble. It's beautiful. They were prosperous, and they thought they'd be there forever. And you know, shortly after he died, a few months later, 
was the regime took over and the Jews who could fled without their things and no one from the Smolarsic family has been able to go back and visit that grave until we went back a couple years ago. So it was meaningful for him. No one had been back there. And as I stood there and I looked at the marble headstone and the beautiful cemetery and all the people who were buried there and they were sure that their children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren would visit them forever, I said to myself, the only place to be buried, the only place v'yishavtem labetach, the only place that we can know that our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren will be is not Staten Island or deep in Long Island or New Jersey or any Jewish cemetery anywhere in the world. We know Poland. Think about Poland, which is an entire Jewish cemetery. The whole Poland is a Jewish cemetery. How many places around the globe have Jews been buried thinking they'll visit me here forever? And the only place that we know, and again, I don't mean to make sad anybody or regret anyone who already has arrangements elsewhere, but those who don't, to me, that's the only place, Vishaftam Labetach. That if you want to be confident and sure, if you want to have a sense of calm, if you want to have a sense of knowledge, that is where they will visit. Bitachon Bebechina Shazman. Let's just start for one moment. So that was the area of space. Bitachon Betach, confidence, calm, surety, confidence in the area of space is Eretz Israel. What about Bitachon Bechina Shazman? Where can you have Bitachon in the realm of time? Six days a week we conquer that world, we work hard, and we have no idea how it's going to work out. Will the business deal come through? Will this effort, will this task, will this to-do list, will it work out? Six days a week we work, 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 work. We toil, 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 and we have no confidence. If you're overly confident, it's the end of your success. You should have no confidence. <coughs> this effort is not easy. All week long, we face obstacles that are trying to block our parnasa. We have competition, and we have changing markets, and we have a coronavirus, and we have all kinds of things. All kinds of things in the world are obstacles trying to block our success. We have to run through walls, climb around them, go, around, go over them, dig a tunnel under them. But nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today went easy. Everything just came to me. The money flowed in, the relationships were all smooth, my health, my joints, my blood pressure, everything feels great. The weather was perfect. The food, my sleep was uh, uninterrupted. I have yet to meet that person. I have yet to meet that person. This is not a coincidence, it's by design. Hashem, this is the consequence of the fact that Chava messed it up. Oh. All right, everybody relax. Everybody relax. This is the, uh, just joking, partly. This is the, this is the consequence of Chava and Adam messing up and each one getting their, their accountability. Adam used to have the lifestyle I just described. Adam and Chava used to enjoy in Gan Eden and they messed it up and God said, you're out. No more all you could eat shmorg. No more, no more lifestyle that it's all given to you. You got to work. You have to work hard in order to get your bread. 
So in the realm of this week, you got to work hard. You got to work hard to find spirituality. You got to work hard to earn an income. You got to work hard to have healthy relationships. You have to work hard to be healthy. And Shabbos comes and there's a Shefa Bracha. There's a flow of Bracha that comes from above. It's an auspicious time. Some suggest that the reason we give brachas to our children Friday night is it's an auspicious time that there's a flow of bracha. Tap into that bracha. The bracha of the every person should not be dismissed for you. So since Shabbos comes and it brings a flow of blessing, tap into that blessing, channel that blessing, be a partner with that blessing and bestow that blessing on your children. So these are two different sides. The week is struggle and tension and conflict and effort and obstacles. And Shabbos, ooh, Shabbos, there's a bracha that comes melamala. Kedugmas haman ba'midbar. Like the man that fell from above, the double portion on Friday, we eat that lecha mishnah, we eat the two loaves on Friday night, and we feel like the man has fallen from heaven. Shabbos, I have what I need, I'm complete, I'm whole. Shabbos, I take all my worries and problems and struggles, and I put it up on the shelf, and I know it will be there for me after Havdalah. I know it will be there for me. Whether I'll turn the news on and I'll read more about the coronavirus in the stock market and Iran and the enemies, but for 25 hours I had a reprieve. Or whether I open my to-do list on my phone and I see all my tasks and to-do and everything I have, it'll be there for me the moment I make Havdalah. But for 25 hours, I have a place of refuge in Ir Miklat. It is a sanctuary in time. I can escape. I can experience the blessing of disconnecting and reconnecting to what matters. Shabbos is that great blessing that flows from above, like the man that fell from heaven. These are the Shabbos is. Shabbos is the place of betach, of bitachon. We work on bitachon. We've been talking about this in our Friday shir, 15 minutes. If you haven't signed up yet for WhatsApp group, turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. You wake up every Friday morning by 6.30 a.m. to a short message to inspire you as you get ready for Shabbos. Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. We do it 15 minutes before Mincha each Friday afternoon, and then we distribute it the next Friday morning with an idea of how to make Friday into an Erev Shabbos. That's what it is. We're getting ready, the hachan, the preparation, to escape into that sanctuary in, in time to go to that place of refuge in time, learning how to disconnect and put up on the shelf all those things. That's why Shabbos, you're not allowed to talk about those things. It's also, Daber Davar, you're not supposed to speak about Dibur HaShachol, the way you speak during the week. It's not a holy roller thing to not speak about business on Shabbos. It's a gift to us. If you never had an escape, if seven days a week, I'm the only one who has to work on Shabbos. The rest of you have this great blessing. I'm not the one to speak about my business on Shabbos. The rest of you have that escape. You have that place of refuge. You have that gift. You have that shefa bracha that falls from above. And Mr. Shem will pick up with this all next week. Oh,